Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. This is Patrick Rao, NGI's Director of Strategy and Research. And today, I'm going to spend the next 15 or 20 minutes or so going over key takeaways from second quarter 2023 North American Natural Gas Earnings Conference Calls. Now, these quarterly reviews have become something of a regular feature here at NGI, and we really appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. Now, earnings calls tend to be forward-looking in nature, so the focus of our podcast today will be on what may happen with U.S. natural gas prices and activity over the next several quarters. My colleagues, Letty Gonzalez, Justin Mavis, and Josiah Kleindens just recorded a podcast last week where they discussed current market fundamentals and price trends, and I'd certainly encourage you to give that a listen. But again, this podcast, this is going to be more focused on the next 12 to 24 months. Okay, with that said and diving right in, one of the main questions on investors' minds, and certainly a topic the oil field service companies discussed in droves this quarter, is whether the U.S. drilling and completion activity is reaching a bottom. Now, the answer to that, let me frame things up for you with some stats first. According to Baker Hughes data, the total U.S. rig count hit a recent peak of 784 rigs on December 2nd of last year. But by this August 11th, They'd fallen by 130 rigs to 654, or down 17%. The decline for gas rigs is even bigger. Those were down 32 to 123 rigs, and that's a 21% decline. And even oil rigs are falling. Those are down 102 rigs to 525, a decrease of 16%. In terms of U.S. operating basins, the Haynesville is easily the biggest decliner on both an absolute and percentage basis. The 44 rigs working there are down by 25 or 36% from the recent peak. Appalachia rigs, those are more mirroring the overall U.S. account with a 17% decline. And even the mighty Perryman has set down 7% of its rigs since last December. Moreover, the overall pace of rig declines has yet to slow, as the U.S. rig count has fallen by either five or six rigs for five consecutive weeks now, including the most recent count on Friday, August the 11th. On the completion side, I'll note that during an NGI podcast that was hosted by our Carolyn Davis, who had it with Primary Vision Network CEO Matt Johnson last month, the active spread count at that time of the podcast was 263, and that was down 32 spreads from just the prior March. Moreover, we believe movements in the spread count tend to follow those of recounts by about a quarter lag. So if this historical relationship holds it would mean that completion spread utilization still has some room to the downside as well. Anyway, that was a really great conversation between Carolyn and Matt. And if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, you really should. And you can find that on our website. Anyway, such a steady decline in rig activity suggests the bottom hasn't hit quite just yet. And that's certainly consistent with the general mood of oil field service companies, who are calling for U.S. activity in the second half of the year to be down somewhat versus the first half. Now, one thing that I always look forward to during earnings calls is Neighbors Industries' quarterly survey of their customers. And allow me to quickly read what they said. The group they surveyed, quote, 
accounted for approximately 44% of the working rig count. Our survey indicates the group's year-end rig count will be slightly lower than it was at the end of June, unquote. So there you go. But even against this backdrop, most oil field service and contract drilling companies opine that they believe the rig count should bottom relatively soon. And the inflection point could even happen sometime during the fourth quarter of this year, a quarter that is traditionally seasonally weaker because of holidays and EMP budget exhaustion. So why the optimism? Well, namely, LNG. In fact, based solely on the staggering number of times it was mentioned during second quarter calls, I think it's the worst kept secret in the world that the U.S. needs to take up its natural gas production ahead of the next wave of U.S. LNG export trains that are set to begin entering service during the second half of next year. Overall, we expect roughly 6 BCF a day of additional LNG export capacity to reach commercial status in the United States by the end of calendar year 2025, and that number could double to 12 BCF a day total by the end of 2027. Now, we know that right now, Henry Hub Futures and Ford Curves are currently in contango. Per NGI's Ford Look service, the 2024 Henry Hub strip is averaging more than $3.50 per MMBTU, and the 2025 strip is just shy of $4 per MMBTU. We believe those prices are plenty high enough to generate more drilling interest in all U.S. basins, including the Haynesville Shale, which of course is located just outside the LNG corridor. We further estimate that it takes six to nine months typically for a well that was spud to enter service, but increasingly that number has been closer to six months thanks to efficiency gains. So if we use six months as the bogey here, then simple math dictates that U.S. producers will need to step up drilling activity no later than the first half of 2024. But that's if current production remains constant, which we don't think will happen. In fact, the U.S. EIA expects the recent drop in rigs and completion activity will push U.S. natural gas production down six BCF a day between uh, the second quarters of 2023 and the second quarter of 2024. So that's obviously a little bit less that existing wells then would have to be able to supply these new export trades, and that puts more pressure for drilling activity to pick up sooner than later. One thing that will help in that regard, lower oil field service prices. There's no question that those have started to recede in recent weeks. Now, the labor market, it's still tight, and we note that demand for super spec rigs and dual fuel and e-frac spreads uh, those are keeping those equipment prices from falling too far, but raw material costs are really starting to come in now, especially for things like steel. I mean, think like a 20% reduction in some cases. Overall, most players think it's still a bit too early to predict what oil service cost deflation might look like next year. But I'll say that both Cotera Energy and Chesapeake Energy gave very specific breakouts over overall well cost expectations for next year in their investor relations presentations with both companies seeing a path for drilling completion costs falling between 5 and 7% for 2024. Antero actually said it could be more like 10%, and I'll say that Southwestern Energy, they added costs in the Haynesville could fall by as much as 15% next year. Another thing benefiting producers and in the need to increase production is that efficiency gains continue to drive costs lower as well. Now, this is always a major topic of conversation during earnings calls, and at some point, these efficiencies, they have to decline at some point. 
But based on the overall tone from producers in their comments this quarter, we believe that trend is still positive and very much intact. EPs, hey, they're constantly seeking to improve their efficiencies. That's a given. I mean, that's what you do when you're a price taker. But we believe their push to do so has been even greater lately because of the higher than normal oil field service cost inflation and global supply chain issues we've seen in recent months. These efficiency gains, they're really starting to flow through now to the point where a not-so-insignificant number of producers have taken up their production guidance for calendar year 2023, despite there being lower DNC activities. So there's a bit of positive momentum to help take care of what I guess I'll call the LNG uh, supply gap. Now, as far as those efficiencies, these are really being led, we think, by longer laterals, which are surpassing 20,000 feet in places like the Appalachia, and improved cycle times in many areas. There are other things, such as certainly improved well spacing, better frack designs. They continue to play a role as well. But we also found it more than just a little interesting that more than a few producers credited machine learning and artificial intelligence as key drivers as well, particularly in terms of allowing operators to better navigate the subsurface. Now, operators, they've been using things like big data and digital for a number of years now, but this second quarter of 2023, it's really the first that we can recall hearing machine learning and artificial intelligence mentioned in any great amount. This is definitely something we'll be keeping an eye out for going forward. Now, uh, another thing helping with the recent rebound in crude oil prices to more than $80 a barrel, that's certainly not going to hurt natural gas production, especially because of the increase in associated gas production. And there's going to be some pipeline capacity coming online there in the Permian Basin as well, so that'll certainly help. So a number of positive factors, sure, but it's not all going to be clear sailing. And producers are facing some headwinds that could impact their ability to ramp up production as quickly as necessary to accommodate this new LNG export demand at least relative to expectations. Now, I mentioned the impact that the recent decrease in drilling completion activity should have on production, but another potential issue is that in the United States, drilled but uncompleted counts, the duck counts, those may be vastly overstated. I'll note that both Chesapeake Energy and Southwest Energy, which are the second and third largest publicly traded producers of natural gas in the United States, by the way, they both gave interesting arguments as to why this may be the case, such as public data, including wells that were drilled but abandoned, and differences in how wells from pads drilling are treated, among other things. Southwestern Energy noted one public source pegged them with having 30 ducks in the Haynesville, when in reality, their duck count is just a bit more than half of that. And similarly, a public source pegged Chesapeake with having 45 ducks in the Haynesville, but the company said their true number is closer to 15. In fact, Chesapeake carried forth the argument for the overall market, and they believe that the overall number of ducks in the Haynesville could be overstated by roughly two-thirds, with the actual number being closer to 150 to 200 ducks, as opposed to the 700 or so that are stated in public sources. To that end, we note that the U.S. EIA, they've listed Haynesville as having 776 ducks as of this past June. Now, we don't mean to pick on the EIA. It's just that their data is the most readily available to the general public. We actually thank them for that. But anyway, I digress. I realize that this analysis here, much of what I said has been limited to the Haynesville. But if this is a methodological difference being applied to all basins, then it stands to reason that the duck count could actually be overstated across the entire U.S. 
Now, more specifically, given that the Haynesville is located near the U.S. LNG export corridor and that Louisiana is one of the few states in the country where new natural gas pipelines are being constructed, the Haynesville is being counted on to contribute its fair share of supply to the global market. Having fewer ducks there would make growing production for the LNG export market all the more challenging, especially for 2024 and 2025. Another potential headwind for producers is that they continue to talk about paying down more debt amid a push to achieve investment-grade debt status. Quite simply, every dollar being spent buying back debt is another dollar that doesn't go to the drill bit. And of course, there's the biggie. There's the big headwind, which is the ongoing mantra of capital discipline among publicly traded producers to limit production growth in an effort to generate positive returns on invested capital. The investment community simply hasn't rewarded producers for pursuing massive production growth in recent quarters, yet we think that's exactly what the market and forward strips are calling for ahead of the forthcoming rise in LNG exports. Privately held oil and gas producers, well, they'll, they'll, do a part, they'll do their part to the extent they can, but this is certainly creating a very interesting conundrum for publicly traded EMPs. Do they stick to maintenance or once again pursue growth? Now, to frame that, let's maybe just first take a look at what publicly traded producers are doing right now. 59 of the 64 publicly traded EMP companies with operations in the U.S. that we and NGI track, 59 of the 64, they've reported their earnings so far for the second quarter. And of the five that haven't reported, those are really, really minor. So I think you can say that enough precincts here have reported to call the election, so to speak. And overall, Natural gas production from this group is up 3.4% year over year, which is well within that 0% to 5% growth range that we believe defines maintenance mode. Interestingly, production among independents is up 3.2%, but is up 4.6% for integrated producers such as ExxonMobil, Chevron, BP, and Shell. For much of the Shell revolution, it was the other way around, with independents growing faster than the integrated's. Now, we believe that this is largely a function of those integrators growing their oil production, particularly in the Permian Basin, which has been increasing associated gas production with it. But I digress. It's still a little bit too early for publicly traded producers to give what their detailed capital spending plans are for 2024. But per Bloomberg, the consensus among Wall Street analysts is that U.S. natural gas production among publicly traded independent EMP companies will grow 4.8% next year. In other words, these publicly traded EMPs, these independent EMPs, they're expected to pick up the pace of their production as far as they can while still remaining in maintenance mode. Now, if nothing else, doing so is going to be a really good test as to whether members of the investment community will accept more growth among the publics, and that has obvious implications on future prices. Certainly, some individual public producers are going to grow by more than a 5%. And quite frankly, it wouldn't surprise me to see the investment community become somewhat more forgiving of publicly traded producers for growing their gas production at more than maintenance, provided two things happen. One, the incremental production increase is for the international markets and therefore doesn't flood the domestic market. And two, that incremental production, it generates a positive return on invested capital. Satisfy those two requirements, and the share prices of those producers very well could get rewarded. We're certainly not predicting that that will happen, and of course, there are many other factors that go into a stock price. We know that the investment community has punished publicly traded EMPs 
for what they believe has been irresponsible production growth. But growing production in the manner I just described certainly wouldn't be irresponsible. And make no mistake, many public EP companies are planning to do just that. And that was another popular topic during the second quarter calls. Chesapeake Energy, again, they're on record saying that they want as much as 20% of their production to be linked to international prices. EQT signed on for capacity at the proposed Lake Charles export facility. ConocoPhillips took capacity at Mexico Pacific's plant facility in Mexico, which will be served by production from the Permian. A number of other producers mentioned they are still formulating their plans. So expect to hear a host of announcements in the coming months as competition among producers to feed projects that have yet to reach positive FID continue to strengthen. Okay, we're just about out of time today, but I'd like to quickly note that while all this talk of production growth, it's great. In order to actually do it, producers have to have the drilling inventory to support it. Inventory exhaustion, that was yet another major topic of discussion this earnings period, as it has been actually the last several quarters as well. In many ways, the U.S. shale industry is reaching a more mature stage, and a lot of the best acreage has been drilled already. We believe this is especially true for private operators in particular. Not in every case, of course, but generally speaking, privates have drilled at a faster pace than publics in recent years. Having sufficient drilling inventory is important for if they want to stay public, or at least to not morph into some sort of a royalty trust with a finite life. And moreover, publicly traded producers are now expected to pay and grow dividends, something that cannot happen without an ample drilling inventory. Producers can achieve growing their inventory via exploration spending, of course, but that's a very slow process. And as EOG Resources noted on its call, we believe exploration activity in the United States remains rather tepid. Hey, a much quicker way to add drilling inventory is to buy it. And as such, we believe consolidation in the oil patch will continue, even in the face of increased financing costs from higher interest rates. Okay, that was a lot. I appreciate it. That's all we have for today. And as always, I'd like to thank you for joining us. If you are a subscriber to any of NGI's services, we thank you. But if not, and would like more information, please visit our website at www.naturalgasintel.com. On behalf of everyone at Natural Gas Intelligence, I wish you an excellent rest of your summer and wish you all the best. Until next time, please take care. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.